The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. I want to focus on two major points, one in chapter one and one in chapter two. This is part of our snapshot series, so we're only going to do a close reading of these two chapters. And while we'll go over the general plot, and we'll talk about some of the background to John Steinbeck's own experience, and clearly we'll go over Steinbeck, the writer, I want us to focus on these two aspects. One, in chapter one, I want us to really look at the relationship that gets presented to us between the man and the woman. And while this entire first chapter almost seems apocalyptic in the sense that what has happened to the earth, in the description that Steinbeck uses from a tone standpoint, his images and details establishes this rich darkness of despair that's truly present immediately in the novel. That what is happening is going to be difficult. It's going to force people into some of the worst scenarios they can ever find themselves in. But the relationship between this man and woman who are nameless says everything about what it is going to take to survive in this changing world. And what we need to think about here is that in this moment, we see the man is looking out at the field. Things are not going well. And the woman is looking at him. And the children are watching the the adults. And everything is hinging on this domino effect that if the father or the husband breaks, that everything will fall apart. And while Steinbeck expresses that there's anger there, the man doesn't break. And while we don't see a real interaction between the woman and the man, other than the woman is reassured by her husband not breaking, and the children move on with their day, knowing that this is going to be not not necessarily okay, but they're going to find a solution. Why I think this is essential is because it's driving home the point that love and community and trust and friendship and companionship are all going to be essential to the human experience and the human survival, no matter what is going on. I think we have to kind of think about that in an abstract manner sometimes. That no matter what the situation people find themselves in, those key elements need to be present if someone or a group of people are going to consistently move forward, find solutions, and build back up their lives to a point of not necessarily complete comfort, but stability. We know during this time period that people were tested in a way that other eras were not. And as we've studied the variety of texts in this time period, we know that Steinbeck wants us to make sure that we understand that while the elements themselves were a huge problem, we also are dealing with, as established in chapter 2, that there is a power struggle between the haves and have-nots, which is the second point I really want to make when we get to chapter 2. Even in the subtle sticker that's on the truck driver's truck, it says no riders, and the instant communication about 
whether or not the driver himself is breaking the rules or he's supposed to break the rules or what's the right thing to do, what, what is right, what is wrong. It's established there's an us and them. And even if you work for the people in power, you're not necessarily part of them. So you want to understand that they are that Steinbeck here is establishing a tone and a consistent narrative that the people who are in power do not have the people who are not in power's interests in mind, that their bottom line is more important, that they're focused on their economic goals or their business goals, and that everyone ultimately is a prop of some sort. We get the reference that the tractors now being used in the fields, the cat we saw, which talks about the caterpillar tractor, we know that that is taking care of crops, eliminating jobs. And we're in a shift in this time period where the environment itself we know has lent itself to significant struggles. But the elimination of workers due to the evolution of machinery compounded by the fact that we're getting this vibe immediately that the people who are calling the shots do not care about the workers themselves. And when we think about this, this guy's being put in this really weird position. He's trying to do the right thing by doing his job because he needs his job. But if he doesn't pick up the hitchhiker, he seems like he's a bad guy. And he's balancing doing the right thing for the company or doing the, the right thing by this hitchhiker. And he ultimately picks the hitchhiker up. We know that. And the hitchhiker becomes one of the most famous literary characters of this era, being Tom Joad. And Tom Joad, we get a sense right away. He's coming out of prison because of the way he's dressed. Even if you didn't know that, you know, he's coming from, you know, the newness of the clothing seems to be a bit off for considering what we just got in the first chapter. So by the time Tom Joad starts to speak, it's making sure that we understand that he's representing a different experience. While he does think he's going to be able to go to his family's land and work, we already know what's going on. And part of his establishing of Tom Joad's character is that Tom Joad's been in prison for four years for murder, or as he puts, homicide, which we'll understand a little bit later, it's there because he's missed a lot. So he's being re-injected in society at a time when there has been a lot of change. And the farm he thinks he's going to, the 40 acres as mentioned, might not be exactly the life that he left. So Tom Joad represents in a lot of ways, he's already pushing people to go against the authority, to go against the people in power. He's the first character he interacts with. He makes him break the rules. And as they're talking, the driver himself is talking about all the things he's not allowed to have. He can't have a radio in the car. He spends time training his mind. He mentions some poetry, which leads us to believe that there's not a lot of education that this man's gone through. He's trying to go back to school to get another job. And while all that's going on, we understand that people's dreams are not positioned in the places where they are. 
And that's really the last point I want to make is that what we see here is that everyone's dreams are elsewhere. We don't see a series of people happy with what they're doing, content with the lives they're leading. We get this sense that everyone wants to be something else, somewhere else, with other people doing other things. And for Tom Joe to be thrown into this story right away, pushing the man to break the rules, already establishes him that he's going to be the counterculture to the establishment. He is going to be the one who's going to push in ways that other people might not be willing to push because when he enters back into this world, it's not the world that he left. While we look at this text, we're obviously not going to go over the entirety of it. I will go over the, the plot so we understand what the, the Jode family goes through. But I want us to remember this time period, Steinbeck's writing style, and this anti-establishment tone through Tom Jode, and a lot through the descriptions that Steinbeck establishes is essential for us to, while we question the American experience. Not just in this era, but how it also impacts future eras. And if it, if it still stands in a variety of ways even today.